Good morning, Outlook family. Good to see everyone this morning. Happy Father's Day to everyone. Really appreciated Josh's Father's Day prayer earlier. I hope everyone had a good time in worship. Wasn't that just a beautiful experience together? It's good to see everyone. Uh, man, I'm seeing some faces I haven't seen in a while, so it's good to see. Uh, it's good to be together, like Josh said earlier. It's really good, isn't it? And uh, it's good to open up God's Word. I'm really jazzed to dig into the passage that we're about uh, to start. So you ready to just do that with me? Let's just, let's just dive right in. There is so much good and deep stuff in the book of Romans, which is what we're spending, where we're spending our whole summer here. We're in sermon number three. Uh, in sermon number one, we heard some bad news. Bad news is our sin separates us from God. But the good news, week number two, is that Jesus has taken care of that, that Jesus gives us grace, which we accept by faith, that sin separated us from God. But when we say yes to Jesus, we are forgiven and we are reconciled to God. But here in week three, as we begin to move through this New Testament letter, we encounter kind of a crazy question. It goes like this. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? Where did that come from, right? Basically, this question is saying, hey, if God loves to forgive, then I'll give Him plenty to forgive. No problem. Now, obviously, whoever's asking this question is seriously missing the point. But it does point to a deeper question. And that's the one I want to tackle this morning and what this passage really brings to light for us. As believers in Jesus, what does our sin, forgiven as it is, mean to us? How are we to regard it? What is our relationship to it? Now, this might seem like a pretty out there question. Only theologians would care about, maybe irrelevant to our day to day. But I want to help us see that it's not. This word sin has been misused and reduced to speak only of breaking rules, usually religious rules, stepping out of bounds, crossing the foul line which is not incorrect, it's just terribly incomplete. When the Scripture talks about sin, it's speaking of all the human dysfunction and division and discord that rises from life without God. Now, as we're seeing in this series, the fact is, the good news is, we're not without God, right? That He very much wants to be with us if we'll just accept His invitation to do life with Him. And that, in fact, we're not meant to live a minute away from Him. And that this life with Him revolutionizes this sin dynamic that is within each of us as human beings. Remember, sin being dysfunction and discord and division. What if I told you that in Christ you can have a whole new perspective and power over this dysfunction, this double-mindedness, this discord that we call sin? That's what we want to dive into today. So how does Paul answer this question? Well, his immediate response is this. Of course not, right? Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? 
Now, there have actually been people throughout the ages who've advocated for the point of view that this question puts out there, stating that the persistent, deliberate, willful sinner who keeps returning to God in repentance in the end enjoys more grace from God than the one who avoids sin and aims for holiness and Christlikeness. Now, this is a gross misunderstanding of grace, but it's as old as Christianity itself. In the little New Testament letter called Jude, Jude has some things to say about people who try to promote this false teaching. He says they are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality, and they deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. So in other words, he has, he has no tolerance for this point of view. But it does, again, there's a question here that is, that is underneath it, and that is this. What is grace really for? Well, what we have to realize, it's for so much more than just forgiveness. Certainly it is about that, but it's not only that. So here, here's a word picture that might help. If it doesn't help, throw it away. I got two or three of these this morning. So if it helps, keep it. If it doesn't, forget I ever said it. But here, here's the first one. To me, grace, as the Bible describes it, is like jet fuel. And in this analogy, then living on the ground, in the dust, just do, that is living in sin. That is living in our own deliberate, hey, every day I just want to do whatever I want. I like sin. I'm going to keep doing it. And then I'm going to go to God for forgiveness whenever I like. So in that analogy, that's what living on the ground means. And so when I decide to, I may, you would never do this, but let's just say in this analogy, when I decide to stay in sin, I'm going to do whatever I want. This is, this is the way I'm going to live my life. And then I'll just regularly ask for forgiveness every now and then just to kind of keep it cool between me and God. Keep in mind, there are whole religions based on exactly this approach. I'm not pulling this uh, out of the air. Then if grace is like jet fuel, then when I go to ask God for forgiveness, it's like I'm jumping off the ground just a little bit. Got a little bit of air for just a moment, Right. Drop of forgiveness is all that, drop of grace is all that's needed to forgive whatever sins I've committed since the last time, and I'm back in the dirt again, just doing life my own way. But if I move from requiring just this little minimum of grace, when I decide, and when you decide to rely on the Holy Spirit and live as Jesus would direct us to live, we are flying. We are being raised above the day-to-day dirt and dustiness of just living in our own choices. And at that point, we are burning up grace like a 747. Because it takes far, far more grace to live for Christ Because grace is not just forgiveness. It starts there. But it's also what sustains us. It's also what makes life in Him possible. We are being carried by grace. We can't do any of this on our own. It's all the grace of God that we can even pray to Him, that we can even experience Him, which He loves to have happen. So it's grace that carries us. If we're going to live, uh, it takes far more grace to live for Christ than to live in ongoing, deliberate, just whatever I want to do, that's what I'm going to do, sin, and then just ask for forgiveness every now and then. So Paul's answer is, of course not. We would never do that as Christians. And and this word, we, here, in the original language, is actually repeated and emphatic. In other words, it's like he's saying, we, we of all people, 
would know better than that. Christians who have come to realize the corrosive nature of sin, that it was sin that sent Jesus to the cross, we of all people, he's saying, aren't going to deliberately, thoughtlessly continue to live in it. Because no, that doesn't fit. That's not who we are. That's not what this whole thing is about. So he just kind of tosses that question like, no, 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 no. And then he begins to build the why behind it. So check this out. Paul introduces a powerful thought. We have died to sin. What's that all about? Well, to answer, he takes us back to our baptism. Verse 3. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. So he assumes that his readers are baptized. They've said yes to Jesus, and from the earliest days of Christianity, the way you express that initial yes to Jesus was through water baptism. So that was a given. What happens when we're baptized? A miracle happens. Biblically speaking, the old self is, as we read here, buried. And our old life has ended. Now this word baptize, in the original language, baptizo, it means to immerse underwater. But the word had a brutal edge to it. It wasn't just, oh, I'm doing the dishes and my plates are in the sink under the water. Usually, when the word was used, it was speaking of a drowning person or a sinking ship. Under the water, but with deathly results. And so when, the, when we see this here, the old me, as, the, as it's referring to here, is drowned, right? Is sunk, is gone. And just so we're clear, what is the old me? The me that wanted to sin. Now, not the me that sins. You're looking at that me right now. I'm talking the me that wanted to sin. The me that saw sin and said, mm, yep, I'm all about that. Biblically speaking, that's what we're leaving behind when we say yes to Jesus. So here's, and, and so, so we get to do this instead, live a new life, or actually walk in newness of life is how it's literally translated. We get to walk it out. Our baptism is that place where something miraculous happens. We are saying yes to Jesus and our old life is gone. We're, we now get the chance to walk, by grace, to walk out a new life. So here's our choice, and it's not a comfortable one, and I know I'm coming out right out the gate with this one, but man, it's vital. And only you know the answer to this question, not the person next to you and certainly not me. Only you and the Lord. But the question is this, have you died to sin? Do, in other words, do you want to walk in newness of life? I'm not saying, are you done sinning? I'm not, right? I bet, I bet you're not either. Are you sinless? That's not what I'm asking. Of course not. But have you died to sin? Have you, in your yes to Jesus, realized that that old way of life is not worth it? Do you want to walk in newness of life? And our choices will begin to describe that uh, or to reveal that. If we just begin to think about how we spend our days, our weeks, and our months, our actions will tell us what our intentions are really are. Because listen, if you want to go to St. Louis, you don't start driving to east to Ohio, right? 
Whatever direction you're pointing your life in is where you're going, regardless of what you or I say. And so Paul is calling us on this. No, 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 no. You're dead to sin. How can you live in it any longer? Verse 6. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Okay, so now he's adding a new thought. Sin used to have power in our lives, but now it has been rendered powerless. And that you are far from powerless, although that can be an easy excuse, right? No Christian can really say with a straight face when faced with temptation, oh man, I was just powerless over that. We might be tempted to say that, but it doesn't hold water because now we have power in our corner to fight sin and win. This is the message of this chapter of Romans. And why do we have this power? How did it come about? Because we've been set free from sin's power and dominion over us. Now we're going to get to the meat of this sermon sandwich. All right, here we go. Next verse. Or the end of verse 6. We are no longer slaves to sin, it says. For when we died with Christ, talking about baptism, talking about saying yes to Him and no to our old self, when we died with Christ, we were what? Set free from the power of sin. Someone say, set free from the power of sin. Let's read that together. Set free from the power of sin. Whoa, are you kidding me? Is that for real? That we could be set free from that? And it says, and since we died with Christ, we know that we will also live with him. For we are sure of this, or we are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. See how sin and death are connected there? They're two sides of the same coin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. Lots to think about here, right? Let's, let's just start with another, another uh, analogy. Our newest national holiday, Juneteenth, we celebrated it yesterday, provides a perfect illustration of this concept. We are no longer slaves to sin. Emancipation was official at the beginning of 1863. Maybe you know how this part of our history goes. But it wasn't until June 19, 1865, that Union soldiers made it finally to Galveston, Texas, to give the slaves there the news that had been kept from them for nearly two and a half years. They were free. And they were among the very last to hear within uh, the Confederacy. And, to, and they were the very last to get to celebrate that they were, just as we're reading here, no longer slaves. Now, something analogous can happen when it comes to you and me and our sin. Because if you're like me, you got parts of yourself, uh, patterns in your thinking and behaving that need to hear the good news that they've been set free and begin to celebrate that. Amen? That there are some aspects of our nature that still bend under the tyranny of sin, seemingly unaware that there is a new law in effect, the law of Christ. That we've got thought patterns, ways of reacting and coping that are still in chains, slaves to sin, not getting the word that says, hey, you are free. You mean I don't have to think like that anymore? 
You mean I don't have to act and react like I used to anymore? I don't have to turn to that drink or look at that porn or share that gossip or sleep with that person I just met? All of that, I don't have to do that, that pattern. I'm not destined to be stuck in that for the rest of my life. I'm free. And that's good news. What Paul is saying here is that something happened at the cross that is so powerful that that it's, it's almost hard to wrap our heads around. A sinless life, undeserving of death, yet accepting it. This is a deeper mystery than we can usually realize. Then in that death, buried, then raises to life, defeats death, which is the outcome of sin. Sin and death are connected and begins to reverse the curse of sin and death on any, for anyone who begins to put their faith in the Son of God. See, uh, this, this is a deeper mystery than we can usually fully realize. And he's touching on it here. These are huge and holy things that we're handling. Precious and powerful truths. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. Now, if you only think of sin as that stuff I do wrong and the rules that I break, then this is like, well, I'm not sure what's the big deal. But if we begin to see that sin is all the human darkness and dysfunction and discord that just flows out of all of us as humans when we're not doing life with God, then we begin to realize, man, he is setting right something that has been terribly wrong and is terribly wrong in our world. That's that's a big deal. Verse 11, so you should also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Just bringing together and reiterating what we've said. Consider yourselves is an important thing to think about. We just sang it earlier uh, that we are who Jesus says we are, right? I am who you say I am. Consider yourselves dead to the power of sin. How do you think of yourself? See, because faith is not pretending that something's real when we know it's not. Often we believers can can get painted with that picture. Oh, faith is just a lot of wishful thinking, fingers crossed. You kind of hope that maybe this thing works out. Faith is belief based on better information. And we have received better information That the Son of God came, lived that sinless life, died on the cross in our stead, and then rose from the grave and broke the power of sin and death. This is who we are. We consider ourselves when we said yes to Him in baptism. When we rose to new life, we were procuring for ourselves what happened on that cross and saying, yes, that is something that's changing the world. I want it to change me. And we're aligning ourselves with it. And we're saying, yes, by faith, the grace that flows from that place, that cross and that empty tomb, I received that. I believe there is a new life available for me. A whole new perspective and power over this dysfunction, this double-mindedness and this discord we call sin. We begin to realize I am over it because Jesus is in me. It is no longer over me. This is a fact of faith. So when we sin, and we all do, when we sin, we are not exercising our freedom. We are demonstrating our continued bondage. We are returning to old emptiness instead of drinking in new fullness. That day that we say yes to Jesus, a transformation begins, and it's also a battle and a fight 
We are exercising our freedom from that day on, and we are claiming our rights as children of God. Emancipation has been proclaimed, and now we're going to live in it, and we will walk out that newness of life for the rest of our days. But it is a process. We know this to be true. Because evil exists, darkness persists, and Paul is honest about this. So back, back to what he's writing here, skipping ahead a little bit to something he says in one chapter later. Something I think we all can relate to. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am, he writes. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's saying, look, I know that I'm under a new law, a new ruler. His name's Jesus. But there is an inertia to the years of doing things the previous ways that I did. Can anyone relate to that? You know, you say yes to Jesus, but then you've got to walk out that newness. It's in my thoughts, how I consider and treat people, what makes me mad or how I deal with that anger, how I love or whether or not I can accept love, on and on and on. Plenty of examples in which sin still is within me. In other words, sin is systemic. And sanctification, that big theological word that simply means the process of partnering with the Holy Spirit to dismantle that sin out of my system. That is a real and necessary thing. It is absolutely part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. If we're talking today about our relationship to our sin, is it forgiven? Yes, it is. But is it a part of my day-to-day? Do I have to deal with it? Is there some relationship I have to it? And is Jesus helping me with that? Yes. So we begin to work on dismantling that sin out of our system, the sin that is still within me. Thoughts, emotions, feelings, actions, reactions. And we all know this. There's a momentum in our mind, sometimes even in the members of our body, how we act and react. The residue of sin still in my gears a misalignment that left to myself still sends me in the wrong direction. Trauma can have a huge role in this. We're going to talk more about that this fall in a series. Where we're going to be looking at mental health and, and uh, how Jesus heals us. I'm really excited about that. And I think we all can relate to what Paul is saying here. What a miserable person I am. Who will free me? His answer, thank God. Someone say, thank God. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So let's keep going. Verse 12. Do not let sin control the way you live and do not give in to sinful desires. So now Paul is putting something in our court, something for us to definitely do here. He's painted the picture. Look, because of the cross, you've said yes to Jesus through baptism. There is a new reality that you get to live in. Now, here's something you got to do. Don't let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to sinful desires. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have a new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. 
Now, friends, you've heard me say this before. We will never be sinless. But we can absolutely sin less and less. Doesn't that sound good? And honestly, i got to say, if it sounds boring to you or impossible, then that's okay. You've just not gotten the point just yet, and you're operating on some incomplete information. And so I'm going to lay this out as clearly as I can. Sin destroys us. Your soul, your relationships, your potential to thrive, your sense of self. For some, it's slow-growing. For others, it seems to ravage without pause. But count on it. Sin is a cancer. And without Jesus, we're all terminal. See, before Christ, sin was our nature, our native language. Our soul inside and the world outside were aligned. Sin could travel smoothly, in and out again, right? But now our soul is new and changing, or can be. And so sin from without, real as it is, and all of its allures and temptations, need not become sin within. Don't let sin control the way you live, he says, because it either rules over you, or you, infused with the power of Christ, rule over it. Don't give in. Don't let any part of your body, say any part, any part of your body, become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead... Instead, try really hard, white-knuckle it, and beat yourself up every time you fall short. Is that what it says? Instead, keep every rule, follow every tradition, please every person, avoid every conflict, offend no one. Is that what it says? No, what it says is far more beautiful and more simple. Give yourselves completely to God. What a simple recipe here. I don't have to come up with this all by myself. Remember, grace is jet fuel. I just have to give myself completely to God and ask Him to fill me. He will give me what I need to then rise above the things that want to keep my feet nailed down to the floor. Just give yourself constant surrender completely to God. He's got this. He can handle that. He he can handle you and keep you in His hands. Just surrender to Him. Sin is no longer your master, he concludes, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Here's my third and final word picture. I'm running out of time here. So picture a road with a ditch on either side. That's what this is. Okay, road, two ditches. You're in a car driving down that road. If I'm driving in a pretend car, it's going to be a Camaro. So there you go. On either ditch, uh, either ditch has a name. One name is license. This ditch says, I can do whatever I feel like. It makes no difference because God loves to forgive me. So, no, no, no holds barred. We talked about that a minute ago. The other ditch is called legalism. Paul writes a lot about this in his letters. Jesus talks about it too. Legalism says, if God's ever going to come close to loving me, it's only because I followed every rule and stayed on his good side. No life in that. That's dry religion. But what's the name of this road? The road's name is liberty, freedom, like we're talking about here. The empowerment to do right and not just avoid wrong and actually want to. Because you see the beauty and the health and the goodness of it. That's Christian liberty. 
So this righteousness or holiness, certainly Christ-likeness, whatever you might want to describe it, it's not going to be forced by law as if that were ever possible, nor should it be forgotten in license. But it's forged in the liberty and freedom of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We're talking about a true transformation, a miracle, remember, in which righteousness grows like fruit and flows like water out of our souls. Why is this important? Why is sin, as we've defined it here, demand our attention? Here's why. For the wages of sin is death. That should get our attention. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, this is the gospel. It's the best news humankind can ever hear. And I'm sharing it with you again today. For some of us, many of us perhaps, it's a blessed reminder For others, it's just too good to be true. Hang with me. But maybe, maybe for you today, whether you're with me in the room or you're listening online, watching online, maybe for you, you're hearing the first notes of a song that you can tell will become your absolute favorite. That you will begin to move in your soul to the beat of that song. You'll be like, this is good. No shuffle. I want this on repeat. I want to hear more. I want to devote my life to taking in this music. If that's you, I'd always love to chat with you, pray with you, talk to you about that. We started this morning with kind of a crazy question. I've got one more. Isn't it time to say yes to Jesus? Time to get his power in your corner? Time to say no, really no, to all the human dysfunction and division and discord that we reap when we try to do life without Him? I think it is. I pray you do too. Let's pray together about that. Lord, we thank You for the powerful truth in this passage of Scripture. Jesus, You know us so well and You love us anyway. In fact, You love us deeply, more than we could even imagine. You offer life to us. You saw the sin that separated us and you found it unacceptable, intolerable. You went to the cross. You rose from the dead to break the power of sin and death. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us the, 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 the ability, the insight, the faith to just say yes to you. To begin to live off of your grace. That we would rise above the things that try to keep us down. We can't do that on our own. And we're sick of trying but we're happy that you've got us if we'll just surrender to you. Thank you for that. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.